This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Wilts Contreras and Jeremy Thompson. I am Jay White. Do we have Jeremy or are we still trying to find him? We don't have Jeremy yet. We're still trying to find him somewhere in the in the ether, in the netherworld. Good morning, Wills. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We had some musical chairs, some un- oh, yeah, unscripted yeah. musical chairs. Java's not here today. And uh, who's this? Who's in the control room? I don't. I don't recognize that person at this time of the the uh, the week. It's uh, Michelle McAdoo who is engineering today's show. You don't recognize me now, right? Can you I hear tell me? You now? If, if you if you listen to enough of our shows, you understand that uh, that man. When <laughs> the the people who work at MPB Radio, you really get um, our we the management gets. A whole lot of value out of the payroll on this roster, buddy. Oh man, everybody's what don't y'all a, do? Y'all everybody's a utility player. Yes, that's yeah. what we do. We're here to serve. Yep, everybody can do everything, <laughs> and that's big. that's that sounds super like a braga, braggadocious, but no, I mean like everybody can host. Like yesterday, I tried to anyway. You uh, did a wonderful no, job. No, <laughs> I left English behind before I went into the studio. But what did that say about our uh, director? He he can hire the right people. That's right. To do the job. Ooh. I've even seen him like you know screen calls and run stuff. So he actually has to work out there too. Yeah, everybody can do everything. Yep, he's one of those guys that uh, he's one of those managers that can do all of the things that he hires for, which is uh, always helpful. Uh, but Jeremy yeah. is trying to call in, by the way. So okay, he's, he's there somewhere. He's trying to ring back in. So we should have him momentarily. He sees the the exit. He sees the ether's exit plan. Okay. So today on the program, we're talking about uh, fearing for our online lives. That is a great way of putting it, Jay. Yeah. So we had a fear of tech in general show a couple of months ago, but now it's just fear of your online safety, which is an extremely general topic that has tons of layers and can mean a whole lot of different things. Um, speaking of the boss, Jason, he sent me a link earlier this week to a story about um, the, the lack of safety in hotel systems, hotel Wi-Fi systems. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, All right. We got Jeremy on the line. Jeremy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Doing well. Doing well. Glad there you're connected. Is. I was telling Wilts, our, our topic today is, uh, you know, fear for your online safety, um, uh, just in general. And then, and that, how that can, that can mean, a, a, there's tons of layers to that. It can mean a lot of things in a lot of places in a lot of different ways. And mentioning that um, uh, the, the boss, Jason, had sent me a, uh, a link to an article from The Guardian talking about how uh, accessible hotel Wi-Fi was. Well, not just the Wi-Fi, but... Uh, hotel systems in general, uh, because in, in, it was attributed to the fact that hotel chains for the longest time were, mm, what's the word that they used? They were kind of, they didn't want to adapt to technology or they didn't want to be too quick to embrace higher technology, not that it's necessarily even higher, but because they didn't want to trouble their guests with it because they felt like um, troubling guests with technology is not a like wholesome home-like feeling thing that's maybe off-putting or discomforting or something like that. And so they're slow to progress in that area. Also, it was contributed to the fact that a lot of hotel chains, and this is interesting, do tons of promoting from within, some bottom-to-top promoting. And so you know, it was like uh, you might have guys running IT departments for, you know, uh, multi-billion dollar hotel chains that at one point was actually carrying bags back and forth at a hotel in Poughkeepsie or something like that. And uh, that's that probably guy. not necessarily the way to go in this day and age. But uh, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. But overall, 
and I'll I'll throw this to you guys to to individually attack the attack this question or I guess answer the question, however you would like. Um, the, f- the fear of being online and how accessible or vulnerable your personal information is. We are all online nonstop these days. Not everybody. There are some people who go out of their way to avoid it, but. Everybody that has a cell phone or an email account or has, you know, connected one um, debit card to an account over here on this website, you are plugged in 24-7 in multiple ways and multiple layers, whether you even have the Internet open on your phone or anything else or not. Um, even if you turn your Wi-Fi in your house off, you're still plugged in with your information. I'll start with you, Wiltz. How How much should we fear for our personal information? Well, you know, I think first we have to realize that, yes, you're absolutely right. When you're, if you're sitting on your phone, if you're right here in Mississippi on your cell phone right now, surfing the internet, you are essentially right next to a gentleman or a young lady walking down the street in Shanghai, China right now. You are digitally yeah. connected to them. Everyone on the web is connected to everyone else on the web. And there are certain securities in place, but in essence, everyone's there. It's like you're all in one big room. Um, so I think the, the safe thing with fear is always to respect the fear and maybe just realize when – I think once you realize that, once you realize that what you put out there – is indeed out there to potentially anyone. So if you post a picture on Instagram or you put a Facebook post out there, anybody and everybody can see that. I think once you take that realization, maybe, just maybe, it puts that little thought in the back of your mind. It's like, okay, let's not overshare. Because I think really that's that's our big problem now is we overshare, we overconnect, and, and we forget to disconnect. And, uh, you know, it's like I got two teenagers, and I'm always telling them, what you put out there will live on forever. Yeah. Um, so that's really, you know, my fear kind of comes into into it with with putting something out there that I just don't want everybody. You know, there, there's still things that are just between me and my family and yeah. me and friends that, that, you know, aren't out there in the ether. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, when I ask you, uh, should we fear for our technology lives? What does that uh, what does that make you think about? So um, I really don't like the word fear. Uh, I think <laughs> more like we need to raise awareness about tech in our lives and the uh, the issues that it can cause. Um, but when we talk about these things, you know, a, a lot of times we talk about security and what we need to do in order to uh, increase it for ourselves so that we lower the risk of being attacked. And that's the part where a lot of people don't like it because security is cumbersome. It's supposed to be. Um, when it comes to trying to get people to understand, okay, yes, this is this is more trouble, but it's worth it in the long run. No, you probably won't realize it today that somebody could have stolen your identity, but you know it's always a, a better safe than sorry kind of mentality, in my opinion. Like you were talking about the uh, the hotels that have been really slow to to upgrade their standards, and they're talking about oh well we don't want to we don't want to inconvenience the users okay well identity theft is a lot more inconvenient than having to put in a 20 digit password that's that's my rationale on it is yeah. we need to we need to continue to raise awareness about security and why it's important so that people aren't trying to circumvent it because that's really where the issue comes in most of the time people have secure password they just give it to somebody who's not secure that's that's a lot of the topic of our show today is about social engineering and how people can get that information away from you by tricking it out of you. And that's usually how people get attacked these days. You have a good password, but you don't have enough awareness about how someone can ascertain that password from you and start to attack your accounts. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and speaking of passwords, I mean, how often is it most people are – I hear this so many times from from users. It's like – well, I don't have anything private on my computer. Yeah, but what else does that password go to? You know, when I, I sent something out to work, you know, not too long ago, everyone, you know, I know what folks do. This month it was password one. The next time you have to change it, it's password two, <laughs> password three, password four. Uh, oh, dang, I just gave away right. Jay's password. Jeez, almighty. Um, Man, but you got to figure out what number about, I'm on right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then when people start thinking about it, like, what else is there? So, okay, so when you start looking at our work password, not only is that work password going to your computer, and hey, maybe maybe you might not have too much going on there, but it's also guarding your payroll yeah. and your retirement. 
and your health insurance <laughs> and, and your, your dogs. bank account and your dogs. <laughs> I mean, you know, and how many folks out there, you know, quite honestly, hopefully none of our listeners, but maybe people who our listeners know, uh, have the same password for everything or they use something really, you know, really simple, such as a dictionary word. And it's just, you know, they probably get sick of hearing IT folks say passwords, 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 passwords. But unfortunately, it's the first line of defense. I mean, it's that it's that first barrier. It's interesting that, you know, you mentioned that and, and something that Jeremy said a minute ago. I mean, it's cumbersome yeah. to the average user and it will take you out of your, I don't know, no, not workflow necessarily, but it'll, yeah, it'll take you out of your your online flow because you actually have to take time to tend to this Mm -hmm. and that's an issue until it happens to you i assume i i'm i'm fortunate that i've not had anything major no no catastrophes that i know of i've been part of these bajillion t you know email address hacks and things like that i've been you know, part of a group party. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, nothing has happened to me personally yet. I'm, I'm fortunate to say, but that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's off putting until something bad happens to you. And then it looks very simple versus well, yeah. whatever the, what, what the, the other option is well. A lot of people look at it as what is it? What does it cost me? Be it time, effort, whatever. What does it cost me to do it? And what I typically try to pose a different question to them is like, what does it cost you not to do it? How mm-hmm. much time would it take you to you know? It, it, very simple question. How many people out there have lost their wallet or their purse? How hard is it to recover everything that's in there? You know, you got credit cards, you got IDs, insurance cards, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention money, but it's amazing. The people who really seem to take it the most serious are the ones who have suffered at it. The people who tend to appreciate insurance a little bit more are the ones who have had to use it, it seems like. This, uh, the Guardian report that I was talking about, it, uh, it uh, cites a Bloomberg report written by Patrick Clark. It says it was based on the exploits of a white hat uh, team of hackers hired uh, to test the security of a particular system. After plugging the Internet cable from a bedroom or a hotel room smart TV into a laptop they got in the hotel's PMS which led to the chain owner's corporate system in doing so they gained access to credit card information for several years worth of transactions in dozens of hotels and if they had been crooks the team could have sold the information on the black market and this was interesting to me where a visa card with a high credit limit guys can fetch upwards of Twenty dollars? Mm-hmm. That seems really inexpensive. Oh yeah, but well, I mean, I, mean I, I guess if you're buying them in volume, that's probably actually expensive. But just looking at it in in one, in terms of just one. Oh yeah, wow, that doesn't bucks, seem like twenty thousand. And but just think about how many millions of accounts we keep hearing about being compromised from different companies, almost weekly. It seems like there's someone who's been compromised. Um, it's out there. It's, it's just like on average to get your name and your email address is actually worth about three to four dollars. Yeah. And that's because if I have your name with your email address, I can then target my email to you to say, dear Mr. White, instead of to whom it may concern. Yeah. And maybe get you to open it on up. I mean, it's all it's all about access to information. And, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary how cheap it is out there. That's interesting. We'll take our first break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what you guys have talked about, the engineering, the trust out of people, uh, which is very interesting. That's a that's a layer that I've not really thought about until speaking to you guys in the setup to this week's show. I'd love to hear from our folks listening today if you've had any experience with any kind of hacking or your information's been taken or uh, if you've had any kind of horror stories or, you know, if, if you had, what can, you know, how difficult was it recovering from that? How, what kind of links did you have to go to and how do you protect yourself now? And do you worry about your information being out there basically 24 7 in, in many, many different ways? You can call us today. The number is 1 877 MPB ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. Everyday Tech will be back after this timeout.
your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. I'm Jeremy Hobson. President Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines has been cozying up to China despite China's encroachment in the South China Sea. Some experts are worried. You give them an inch, they're going to go for the whole hand. And now they want us completely out of the South China Sea. Our series on China's increasing influence in Asia, next time, here and now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MVB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email everydaytech at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Jeremy Thompson, Will Spitrer. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening today. Our topic is fear for your online safety. And I should change it because Jeremy said he didn't like the word fear, and I like that positivity, Jeremy. And you can tell yep. I'm uh, I'm old negative Nancy over here talking about fearing, rushing us all into the fear box over here. And uh, <laughs> Jeremy is refusing to go into the fear box uh, right. Which is pretty cool. You could call us today. One eight seven seven MPB ring is the number. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Before we went to the break, I, I asked folks if you've had any kind of experience with being hit uh, or having your security hit or your tech, your information lifted from uh, from safety online. To give us a call, that number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We've got a call we're about to go to here in a second. But uh, Wilts, you were talking about um, at work. You actually, this is pretty in- interesting. It's like reverse engineering to a certain extent that you can kind of see what people are falling for in their email accounts. Right. We um, we actually subscribe and use a service that actually allows us to send out regular. Fake phishing with a PH attempts to folks, and what they are is they are just faked messages that automatically go out that are attempting to trick our teammates into actually clicking on them. And and what the goal of that is is to help lead us on our educational efforts. So we see, okay, if, if people are really kind of, if this particular thing is really tripping people up and they're not recognizing this, that lets us know, hey, we really need to hit on this particular red flag and make sure that we let people know this is what you're looking for. Um, you know, simple things, hovering over a link before you click it to make sure it's going where you think it's going to go. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, whenever you're looking at the reply address, if it's saying you're replying to, you know, Joe at FedEx dot com, that the reply is not jumble letters at yeah. bad guy dot com. Um, it's amazing. The little bitty small things. But if you can just get people to understand that. But, you know, we'll do that. Uh, every every year we kind of amp up the ones that look like hunting and fishing oh, uh, equipment. Oh, uh, the guys will fall for those in a heartbeat. But it, like I said, it becomes a training opportunity. Um, because here's the thing: not only are they the the training ones going out there, but we're regularly seeing you know multiple attempts that come through, and they're getting honestly more and more sophisticated. They're looking more legit, and um, you know. Well, it seems like. That it's more and more on a on a micro level. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about robocalls and about how mm-hmm. people are spoofing, you know, areas or call telephone numbers from your area code, and a lot of them have the same prefixes that your cell phone may have, or the the, the numbers in your neighborhood or zip code may have. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's really smart because I mean, I I know I mean everybody has kind of caught on to it now, but for a long time, I mean that. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that got them in the door for a long time. Well, I mean, and, and, and even still today, I mean, I know that it's out there, but every now and then I got to still pick up that number because, you know, I think just like we said at that particular time, what if you're waiting for a call from the doctor's office? Yeah. Um, like, you know, with me right now, my son is over in Italy. I mean, you know, I'm going to answer strange number of phone calls because what if? I don't know the other parents' phone numbers that are over there with him. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a few of them, but I don't know all of them. So 
I'm going to be very apt to open those numbers up. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's even those of us in the know, supposedly, um, still have to watch out. One eight seven seven. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. For me, it's it seems to come along when you least expect it. Um, you know, you'll be in the middle of putting your information in, and then you go, "Wait a minute, something about this doesn't feel right." And you, your guard was completely down. You were ready to just put all of it in, and then you go, "Hang on, this doesn't look right." And then you investigate just a little bit further, looking at the links or the the logo or the verbiage on the page or whatever it is, and something just is off. And that's when you realize somebody's trying to steal my info. Because it's, it's going to look like a legitimate page. It's going to look like a legitimate login page. It's going to look like Amazon or PayPal or Facebook or whatever because they want to try to trick you into getting that information. And these days it's so easy to do it. So for me, you know, I'm back out in the dating world, so I'm on these dating apps. I'm like, okay, all right, this girl wants me to message her on Instagram. So I go and message, and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of some – come to my page and vote for me and spend money and all this and I'll hang out with you and I'm like what? Right. What? I'm just trying to go on legitimate dates here. Do you you want to get dinner? <laughs> well, what's going on here? So they're literally everywhere. If it's if it's electronic, if it's on your phone, if it's on your computer, somebody has figured out some way to engineer it to trick you. The number to call is 1877 MPB ring 18776727464. We will start with Shirley in Starkville this morning. Shirley, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm good, and thank you for your show. Um, so I'm calling about um, ways to uh, preserve one's passwords uh, past one's death. Uh, you know, we, we get safe deposit boxes to at the banks to... Uh, in which we put important papers so that our survivors <clears throat> can get access to, um, you know, insurance policies and investments and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, recently a person passed unexpectedly, and her family um, didn't know how to get access to her uh, accounts because. Uh, in fact, her computer was also password uh, protected. So mm-hmm. I'm just searching for ways that you know we uh, can you know have our passwords available past our death. Does that make sense? Well, it does, and I think uh, I think honestly, you hit on one of the simplest and low tech solutions for that. I know uh, you know it may seem a little bit low tech, but simply writing down those passwords and having them stored in a secure location. Uh, you know, for example, um, you know, a n- number of years ago, my wife actually had a heart attack and I was pretty concerned because it was actually on payday. And I'm like, okay, how do I pay these bills? Uh, it's a matter of being able to get to those passwords. Now for us, we're sharing them. Um, but you know, sometimes just that low tech approach of just writing it down and giving it to someone else, maybe putting it in, in, in someone's safe for safekeeping, Another thing, a lot of accounts now, uh, bank accounts, social media accounts, investment accounts, will actually allow you to set up recovery addresses, yeah. which will typically be someone else. So that's one thing I make sure that, uh, you know, say, for example, I get a credit card. I make sure that my wife's account is actually on there to where she can speak on it in my absence in case something were to happen to me. Because, you know, not too long ago, and we actually mentioned on this show, there was a gentleman in Canada, uh, there was a Bitcoin company. And he passed unexpectedly, and he passed with the password, and $145 million to all of his investors were lost because there is no way to recover those sometimes. So it is pretty important to make sure somebody else has those passwords. Oh, yeah, $145 million. So for people who are single or, you know, don't have a spouse to give those to? Well, you know, a trusted friend, family member, um, you know, yeah, that's almost like really you got to have someone who can speak for you once you're gone. And really, when it comes to passwords, if they don't if somebody else doesn't know your password, I mean, you know, we always say all the time, don't share your passwords. 
you know, up at work, for example. Um, you can, it's kind of like, like a will, right? You need it, something it really that's is. similar to a will. And, yeah. it, and it can be almost just as as important. Right. Well, the only you, problem with something like that is that whenever somebody changes their password, they have to go to that service and update that or whatever. And you have to make sure that people are doing their due diligence to do that. Because what I've noticed is I'll have a client and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I've got that password in a book. And they'll go flipping through this book, and they'll be like, try this one. And they're like, no, wait, that was my old one. That's from two years ago. Try this one. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying all yeah. these different passwords mm-hmm. because they can't remember which one they wrote down. So I've often thought about that, like there needs to be a service where that password could be stored with a, almost like escrow. You know, that party has yeah. nothing to do with it. They just protect it. But keeping that information up to date is the problem because it's so easy to change your password. Well, and some of that comes back to personal responsibility, too, though. It's, it's no different than anything else. I mean, you've got... You've got to maintain it. Going back to our first segment conversation, yes, security can sometimes seem like an inconvenience, but what what's the opposite? What what does it cost you if you don't do it? What does it cost you if you don't keep those records up and make sure somebody has those? Unfortunately, if you pass away, it could mean you know your loved ones and those who are still here are left without. So it is our personal responsibility. What about two level or or, or like uh, dual level or I forget exactly how they put it verification. Two-step authentication. So for that, that requires having the deceased person's phone and being able to unlock that and get a code off of that or access to their email address or however it is that they get the code. I know Yahoo email um, wants very much so for you to put your phone number in as the second level of that uh, verification. Very much so. That's that's most of them, yeah, yeah. because they can just send you a code that way. Or they have an app that you can download that pairs with it, and then they authenticate through that. And That's it's what interesting. We, you know, we've talked about how it's a little off-putting to put in the time to do this, especially if you haven't really experienced the downside of it. But Yahoo is is pushy to a certain extent. I mean, they are. That's, I mean, they're. That's because they need to be. Well, I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I you know, I still have a Yahoo account. I don't. I use my Gmail account for almost everything, but I still have a Yahoo account. And when I log into it, it's always pushing, pushing, pushing for me to add, you know, levels of verification. And it's annoying. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, I can't I can't be mad at that because they're just trying to protect my information. So let me go ahead and, you know, add this thing to it or whatever. They're politely letting you know, hey, uh, we've been hacked a lot. (laughs) So we want to try to protect you from that. And uh, this is a way that we can save face. So here we are trying to protect your account security. Please. Jeremy, you know, I know you don't like Yahoo. We all know that. But my Yahoo account, I agree with you, Jay. Every day when I log in, they send me a code to my phone and I put the code in. And like you said, it's a little hassle, but I do at the end of the day feel good that it came to my phone. No one else has my number and I logged in and no one else can get in. And then sometimes I forget my password. So they almost <laughs> they force you to have your phone. <laughs> You know, yeah. or whatever it is that you use as your second level of verification just to log into your email. And that seems so convoluted. But at the same time, you know, like Jeremy was well, saying, and I mean, I mean, I get it. I understand. So it's not that big of a deal for me. Well, we're well one thing you want to remember is that when you add your information, like when you get that code, you can tell it to never ask you for that code on that device again. And then it'll store a cookie on your computer saying, OK, we've already authenticated, so we don't have to ask for that information anymore. I'll have yeah. to do that. But, I mean, um, unfortunately, the downside of not setting some of these things up is exactly what it sounds like Shirley's friend was confronted with. And, yeah, we have to actually maintain them. We're putting in multi-factor up at work. It's about to be uh, a whole different thing for everybody within our company. It will be multi-factor. What about, and I don't know that I've seen necessarily, uh, like, programs for your computer or your Mac to do this, but I know there are tons of apps in all of the app stores that are password storage apps, essentially, like password managers. Is that worth it, or are you just adding... (laughs) Are are you adding a baseline level of more... Uh, mystery to people trying to get to these people's information when they need it after they pass. Kind of like creating a master key, and you only have to have one password to have access to all the passwords. I personally haven't I haven't taken the plunge yet. I don't use a password manager other than just what's between my ears. So I I can't say personally that that I have had much experience with them. I have some users that use them, but again, it's it's about making sure that you 
keeping those passwords up to date and when you go in and change them that you don't obfuscate the way that you've got it set up. A lot of people use a spreadsheet as a password manager, which is okay, but it's usually not password protected on their computer, which means if a hacker got access to that device, so yeah, that right file, yeah. you've got everything. What do you guys think uh, about storing passwords for your different uh, website logins and different things like that in your email to Google? Uh, you mean like to Google Sheets? Like, well, no, I mean just like if if you are logged into Google when you use Chrome, you know, it, a lot of times it will. Well, not a lot of times, all the time. If you have something where you can store a username and a password, it will ask you if you want to save that information so to to those, your your Google account. And so, you know, it, it's essentially for a lot of like autofill mm-hmm. uh, purposes. So the next time you go to that website or whatever, it'll say, "Hey, do you is this what do you want to you do? You click it, then autofills that information. You just hit enter instead of having to type all that stuff out. They're convenient, but again, uh, it's it's easily easily ascertained off that computer. If, if I sit at your computer and you have your password saved in your browser, give me 10 seconds. And I can view if it. I even need 10 seconds, and I can tell you exactly what your password is. Uh, well, I'll say this. And I don't I have to go into Chrome to do else. that. <laughs> right. I can I'll go say. in and just edit a little thing on the website that tells me in plain text what your password is. So oh. as long as your computer's around people you trust, that's great. Well, see, that's the thing. I was going to say, I'll tell, I'll tell folks this. If you were going to use Google or your Google account to save passwords to a bunch of information, uh, remember to log out of Google when you're done using that computer, especially if you're not at your house. So let's say you're at a friend's house or at work and you accidentally leave yourself logged into Google, um, then... And not even necessarily that the people behind you are going to look at your information, but whatever they do on that computer is now part of your account. So, like, and I'll I'll be I'll be straight up honest with you. There was a place that I was. I left myself logged in. And after that, a person behind me came in and was looking at a bunch of back page ads. And if you don't Mm. know what back page is, don't Google it and just consider yourself enlightened. Now people are going to go Google it anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 on the downside right there. That back page stuff, and that was all like I I I, I can't remember exactly how I found. I think I typed in a B to start a website, and then you know it gives you all Ooh, of the autofill always- stuff. It's all of these back page uh, links, and I'm like, what is back page? And that's where I learned about back page. And I was like, oh. Cool. I'm glad I found this and not like my wife or somebody like that. It could be. Because you know? uh, <laughs> that yeah. would have been uh, quite a story to have to tell or make so, up or look like I'm lying and stuff like that. I don't know what this is. One, I swear. One way to protect yourself on a public machine is to use an incognito window. That way, whenever you close it out, it didn't store any of your info. It didn't stay logged into anything. It's completely anonymous. So it's gone. Not logged into anything. Yeah. Um. The incognito windows are easily gotten to from the system menus. Uh, In Google Chrome, you can hit Control, Shift, and N, and that will open up an incognito window, and you can do whatever kind of browsing you want. Nothing will be saved. Now, the flip side of that is is that if if you are in an incognito window and you run into something that you need to, information that you need to retain, you figure out a way to write that down or, you know. Screenshot it. Yeah, screenshot it or save that link and send it to yourself in your email so you can set it up somewhere else later down the road. Shirley, go ahead. For Shirley, I wanted to say that um, regarding the person who um, passed away, if the passwords on uh, Windows or Mac are part of the obstacle, those can be bypassed or blanked or wiped out, and you can still get access to all the other information. In fact, you don't even have to have the password in most cases to get access to that because it's possible for somebody like me to just pull the drive out and get the information off of it. Um, in this case, you probably want to keep it in the machine and try to blank the password out. That way you can get in and see if possibly this person had their password saved. If so, you're, you're set. Um, otherwise, you've got some access to some of their stuff, and that's better than nothing at all. Shirley, stay in touch with us, and we appreciate your call this morning. We're going to take a quick break here. Stanley in Starkville, uh, stay uh, with us here. He's been patient, waiting on hold. We're going to sneak a quick break in here, and we'll get to Stanley in Starkville and Billy and Benton as soon as we come back. one eight seven seven mpb ring is the number, one 672 7464 Everyday Tech on MPB Radio. We'll be right back. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. Our topic today is uh, fear for your, uh, I said it again, sorry, Jeremy, I'm being negative again, concern, general concern for your internet <laughs> safety. I'm trying to be a 10,000 like foot view of the whole thing as possible. He broke out the thesaurus in here. He's doing pretty good. That's right. Let's get right back to it. Stanley and Starkville, super patient with us, and uh, we'll put him on the radio now. Stanley, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing good. Guess what? What's that? It's hot in Mississippi. Man, is Amen. It? The corn is popping on the stalks. Anyway, uh, this had to do a little bit with uh, what you were talking about with uh, uh, spoofing uh, phone IDs. Uh, the one I got that really just kind of uh, rocked me, and I went ahead and answered it, it said it was from SSI. And I had just been working with Social Security about getting my retirement started, so I answered it, and it was a pollster. Wow, a pollster. Yeah. Definitely getting (laughs) slick on it there. Yeah, so uh, now... uh, That's multiple levels of email. Of course, there's all kinds of phishing emails out there, but there's also blackmail emails. I don't know if you all touched on that. We have it specifically today, but go ahead, man. Yeah, uh, it started, uh, I would say, about three months ago. It was the first time I got one. And uh, what they do is they try to blackmail you because of uh, 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 whatever it is that you're looking at, and they've hacked your computer, and they've hacked into your camera on your computer, and uh, on and on and on. And uh, the reason why I caught it so fast... (laughs) Because when I got my camera, the first thing I did was put a piece of tape. When I got my computer, the first thing I did was put a piece of tape across that built-in camera. So I knew it was a spoof or a, a blackmail. And I also, uh, with uh, now I use Outlook. And with Outlook, you can go through under options, and you can backtrack the the uh, uh, the. The, the route that that email came in uh, probably won't get you back to the original, but it will get you to understand that it has nothing to do with who they say they are. Absolutely. Stanley, man, we appreciate the call this morning. Yeah, the uh, tra- tracking the header information in the email can be uh, can be kind of enlightening for those who like to kind of dig down into that. It's amazing where they'll come from and how they'll pretend. But, yeah, we've seen – quite a bit of pop-ups with that they'll try to say oh we found this illegal information on your computer and if you'll just pay us three hundred dollars uh the fbi won't come to your door uh you know <laughs> as we've said before uh usually the fbi etc they don't usually send you notice they're federal coming. bribery they're yeah, yeah. You, you don't put that stuff in email well i don't know with the people we have running the world now these days <laughs> who knows it might just be that in your face but uh i wanted to, he mentioned taping over your uh, your cameras I know a ton in, of your, people who do in that. your computer or your laptop. Mm-hmm. I, I, there are worse ideas in the world, but is that something you really need to do? Do you have to do that? I mean, if you want to, that's fine. I mean, we're not we're not trying to mock people who do because multiple callers have told us that they do do that. If you don't mm-hmm. use it very much, I don't see what the problem is. But if you do use your camera, I mean, is it worth taping over that thing every time? Well, uh, tape is you know uh, cheap alternative to other things that are out there i have a little i think it cost me like three bucks it's a little plastic slider and it adhered to the screen and it just slides out of the way whenever i want to use the camera and then i can just slide it back over it whenever i don't want to use it um i see that a lot in my shop and you know i'm actually it's in it's heartening to me because it means that people take their privacy seriously Mm -hmm. you know a lot of younger people are like oh i don't care who's access my stuff i don't have anything to hide well it doesn't matter if you have anything to hide it's about the expectation of privacy that we should have in our own lives so when i see people doing that it reminds me okay people really do care and not everybody does just want to let all their information be out there and this is this is a, a legitimate thing and i i Mark Zuckerberg does it, Jay. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of people hear, oh, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> does it. Well, I should probably do it too because that guy knows a lot more than I do about computers. Yes, he does. And he does it for a reason. He covers up his microphones and stuff too. But most people don't go that to that level of extremity, although it is possible, of course, to do it. And with a lot of malicious software out there, uh, a majority of a built-in feature is to turn on microphone and camera on the computer so you can actually view who's there. It's uh, it's not an uncommon hack, unfortunately. You know, we so. haven't dug all the way into the, the the microphones and the recording of the conversation and stuff like that. But I, I, look, there is no doubt that your phones are tuned to what you're saying, even oh, yeah, when absolutely. you're not using them. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, my phone sat in here while I hosted uh, in legal terms for Liz Gill and tried to talk English, talk the English words for an hour. And the, the topic of the show was uh, the one-year anniversary of legalized sports gambling in Mississippi. And let me tell you something. After that show, the next time I got on Twitter, every promoted tweet in my timeline was for a sports book at a casino in Mississippi. And it had not been previously. That wow. is – that – it doesn't so much freak me out as it is annoying. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay, that, it, freaked, like, we, oh, it freaked me out, listening. guys. That, Jeremy and Wilt, remember on the show we talked about what happened with me and the punch bowl and mm-hmm. the um, same thing, Jay. We're my phone is in earshot, you know, of our, of, of a conversation, and then the next time I get on my computer or even on my phone, the ads on IG and things were about the punch bowl that we were talking about i was talking about where you can buy one from and oh, i would like to buy one and you put the ice in it and it keeps your stuff cool i didn't search for it on my phone so you said it didn't freak you out it freaked me out well it didn't freak me out because it's something that i don't necessarily not expect mm-hmm. but it's frustrating to well, know that I didn't that's know a deal that you know phones were listening i up until that point i didn't know that my phone was listening to what i'm saying and then like you said, gives you advertisements of which what I'm talking about throughout the day. Yeah, that's. Weird. I mean, if it wants to curtail ads based on the websites that I visited, I mean that's one thing. Right. I almost expect that, and I don't necessarily mind that because it puts you in front of a lot of stuff that you not necessarily would have had the time to look for or even thought to look for, and that's actually helpful to a certain extent. It helps the people who buy the ads. It's it's an economic thing. It's a full circle economic thing. It helps you get to the stuff that you like. There, there's there's pros all the way around in that circle, but things showing up in my timeline when I haven't searched for it just because the words, the talky words were had around my phone? Nah, man. Need to let yeah. loose of my phone. Need to get the devil up out of my phone. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. We've got uh, Billy in Benton up next. Billy, thanks for calling. How are you? Let me, uh, well, hang on. I hit the wrong button. That's Rick. We'll take you next. Billy is up next in Benton. Billy, thanks for calling. You're welcome. Got a problem. It's right my cell phone, which is flipped up, and some moisture, some tea. It won't work. And somebody said to uh, get a bag of white rice and put it in the bag and seal it up and it'll dry because I think it's a desiccant, a desiccant really, absorbs moisture. Is there any other way to fix it besides putting it in white white rice, a bag of white rice? I think, Jeremy, you recently had a Facebook post on this in our Facebook page. That's right. Rice is food, not for repair. <laughs> so so uh, this whole rice thing, uh, as far as I've been able to research, goes back to a guy who... Uh, was dealing with a, a frantic client who uh, was concerned about their device, and he was like, drop it in a bag of rice. He basically told her to do this so that it could stay out of her hands for long enough to actually dry out. Um, if you have moisture or water inside of your phone, rice can't just magically pull that out. Like, if it's pulled up inside of your phone in, in little pools of water, rice can't do anything about that. It can dry up the external and it can block up your charge ports and your uh, all your various openings on the foam. So I do not recommend rice. I recommend if um, if you can just put it somewhere in in a in a room, possibly with a small fan on it, where you can get some airflow over it. Um, that's going to be more beneficial than rice, simply because it's actually moving air across it and attempting to move the moisture, at least from the surface of the foam. Now you said you dropped it in a glass of tea. Yes, sir. Unsweet. Was it? It was unsweet tea. Okay. Well, at least you don't have any sugar in there. That's a big um, deal. <laughs> and what what kind of phone is this? It's an LG. It's just a cheap flip top phone. That's all I was just send and receive. Mm. 
Okay, so if it's a flip phone, um, it is probably not going to be worth much time as far as like taking it somewhere to get it repaired. It'd probably just be easier to replace it. So I would set it aside, let it dry out for a while. Do not try to turn it on. Remove the battery if possible. I can do that. And just give it some personal time to think about its life. And then maybe in, say, three three to five days, put the battery back in it and try to boot it back up. What what kind of damage was done by the moisture? Well, if it's a flip phone, it wasn't really ever protected from having uh, any kind of uh, moisture inside of it. No. So the, uh, the board can get corroded. The battery can short out. Uh, the screen can get moisture up under it. There, there are lots of different things that moisture can do to that phone. Yeah, water uh, can actually conduct because of the impurities that are actually naturally in water. So yeah. it actually conducts electricity in a, in a way as well. well. I took it to a repair and, shop twice, and they said they couldn't do anything with it. Just thought I'd try the rice as a last resort. Well, I mean, it's, it's not uh, – as a last resort, I'd say go for it. Um, it's it's generally just going to be as, as beneficial as just letting it sit and dry out. You might even want to take it and put it in a in a car, not in direct sunlight, but just in the heat, uh-huh. and let it just let it just get hit by some heat. See if it can't evaporate all that out. Because I have saved hundreds of phones at this point. Some of them dropped in the river. Some of them dropped in the toilet. Wow. God forbid. Some of them dropped in a glass of tea. So yeah. it's entirely possible, but you just you need to give it time and just just. Wait for it, and also be be open to the fact that you may have shorted out your battery anyway, so you may have to put a new battery in it. It may not come on even if well, you how, let it dry how out. Did you, how did you revive yours once they went down? Well, we actually open up our phones at our shop, and we blow out all the moisture inside of them. We clean all the components with alcohol, and we can send them off for uh, extensive service if needed to. But most people generally don't go that route because it's both expensive and time-consuming. Um, so uh, usually we just blow the moisture out of the inside. Alcohol actually evaporates water, so you can put a motherboard or whatever you want in a, in a, in a vat of alcohol, and it won't hurt it as long as you let it dry out. Um, once you put it back in the device, usually it works. It depends on how long it was in the water, of course, and what the damage to the phone was, and how long the user waited before they brought the device in to us. Yeah. Billy, we appreciate it, man. Give us a call back in a week and let us know uh, if uh, the situation has improved any. Uh, before we're done here, we have uh, one more call to take. That's Rick in Madison. Rick, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I'm going to put in a plug for using a password manager. I started using 1Password about five years ago, and uh, I've, it's it's really easy to use. You have to train yourself to do it, but it's not that hard. It's just developing a new habit. It will it will create passwords for you, and I finally started letting it do that for me. Uh, and uh, then uh, you can uh, when you set up the uh, the login for the for the whatever account you, you're talking about, um, and you have your password. It has an option for you, and I usually do this on my iPhone or iPad to uh, punch uh, open it in Safari. And it'll populate your username or and password for you, and you're good to go. Um, uh, and you don't have to remember the password. And uh, you, you know it can be the, this long jumble of letters and symbols and what have you. Okay, uh, Billy. So let's say you're walking down the road, and I run across you, and I snatch your phone out of your hand, and I'm down the road trying to get access to your stuff. What's preventing me? Well, one password takes its name from. To open up the one password account, there's one password, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you know you don't. I don't put that down in my phone anywhere. It's not okay. written, well. It's not, not. In fact, I haven't written it down anywhere. Thought about it for a long time about what it was that I would use to remember it, and then came up with uh, with something that makes sense to me that uh, has no meaning otherwise. Uh, so we only use I, when you I, use the app on the phone. Do you just put your password in? Like to confirm, okay, I'm here. I want to log into a page. Give me access, or do you have to put that password in every time? Virtually defeating the purpose of having a password manager. Well, um, no, you you can put the password in every time. You can cut and paste from one password over to the website, or you can let it, or you can let one password open the website for you in Safari. 
Okay, um, so when it's when it's on your phone, does it does it ask for a pin when you open the app to go and get those passwords out? How does how does it work? You you have one password to open up one password. You create a password, uh-huh. and the company doesn't even have it. You're the only person that has it unless you give it to somebody else. So if uh-huh. you close the app out on your iPhone and then you open it back up, does it ask you for that password again? Yes. Okay. You know, and I've got it set to close in like three minutes or something. Uh, oh, okay. If, if, I, if I don't use it. But I not only keep passwords in there, I've got bank account numbers, uh, social security numbers of the family, uh, wireless router passwords. You know, you go visit a friend and you ask them, what's the password so I can use your Wi-Fi? Well, I put it in there, so next time I go back, I don't have to ask them unless they've changed it. Uh, reward programs or membership numbers, email account passwords. You know, my wife, you know, uh, has a different password on, on a different account. and uh, So I have all that stuff in there. And then it's got a select section called Secure Notes, and I keep things like pass, uh, passport numbers and anything you want to put in there. Wow. And that's uh, one password, the number one and the word password? Yeah, no, yeah, number one and one password. And I found this. There's a guy down in New Orleans who has a website called iPhone JD, uh, and, and he works for one of the big firms, but he's a, sort of a tech guru. And um, he recommended one password, and he had a couple others he liked, but he liked this one. And I said, well, he's done the research. I'll go with this. And it's been really, uh, really helpful. Rick, we appreciate the call this morning. Thanks uh, for the advice. We'll have to take a look at that. We teased at the beginning of the show some uh, foldable tech news update. Jeremy, we will touch on that again next week. We'll also put it on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, Facebook. Uh, they're not making it. They bailed on it. <laughs> it was, and then it wasn't again, and then it was again, and so now it's not it, again. It is not, yes. They will be working on the Fold, too. And that's uh, Samsung who's uh, given up on that. Yep. Well, at least they're not keeping us in the dark about it. Right. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us today. Our show today uh, was engineered by Michelle McAdoo. Good to have you back in the fold. And today our calls were screened by Lori Thompson. We hope you join us again next Wednesday at 10 for Everyday Tech. Southern Remedy is coming up next with Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Think Radio.